If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for stopping by the Hoarding Solution podcast today. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Travis Johnson, who runs the nonprofit Architect and is here to tell us about his story and um, the things that are happening now and how he came to be, you know, Mr. Officer in the U.S. Navy. So we do have that in common. And thank you so much for being here today, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tammy. I should clarify, we have the Navy in common. I was never an officer. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, you know, tell us about Travis and, you know, things that shaped you into who you are today. Sure. So I'm still active duty Navy. As she mentioned, I'm one of those dark siders, the those dirty officers. Enlisted 12 years officer for more than eight years now, which has been a lot of fun. Um, married for almost 20 years. This summer will be 20 years married, two kids. And I host the Nonprofit Architect podcast, giving you the actionable steps to help you build a stronger nonprofit. So how did I get here? Uh, if you look through my stat sheet, and I'm sure Tammy will be nice enough to have a link for you in the show notes. Uh, you can read my bio that says I'm on move number 50, which is insane. If you look at childhood before graduating high school, that was 36 moves, 12 schools, six states, five foster homes. I survived two murder attempts and got in some pretty serious trouble with the law all before graduating at 17. And people are like, oh, were you in a military family? And I kind of laugh because you think they move military families on average twice a year, every year? That's, <laughs> that, uh, that cost would just be astronomical to be moving. What is the military strength at? Like three and a half million something like that to move three and a half million people twice a year that that cost is enormous so I kind of chuckle when people say that but you know there was a always a lot of good people helping me out growing up whether it was uh, different family members or even more formal organizations like churches or nonprofits that were willing to help keep us sheltered clothed and fed and you know when I finally got some stability in my life and I was no longer in that that scarcity mode uh, a scarcity mindset or survival mode, I was able to you know, start interacting with the community when I finally had that, oh, I'm home feeling. This is what home feels like. Well, how am I supposed to be part of the community? What do people in the community do? I asked around because I didn't know. And it turns out people in the community, they volunteer for nonprofits and they give money to their community and they serve on, on community boards and they do different things and help, you know, change the laws or get parks erected or, or build memorials or whatever have you. And I started getting involved. And before I knew it, I had a couple of published books. I was on the board of two nonprofits. We helped raise a half a million bucks in just a couple of short years and uh, gave a lot of our own money. So I had a lot of fun doing that. And then I got stationed in the kingdom of Bahrain last year. I was overseas in the Middle East. And that's when I met Tammy online and we started chatting and she was actually a guest on my show. And I started that because how am I supposed to keep doing all that fun nonprofit stuff while I'm overseas? And my answer was to come up with a podcast to have great conversations to help you, the listener, do what you're trying to do and, and, and do it better. So I kind of believe that's my mission to help the helpers. And I appreciate that mission and the fact that we got to have a couple great conversations because it it really is about the conversations, right? And the connections that you make. And I remember when you were overseas and I'm like, wow, it was probably a really weird time for you, you know, in the middle of the night. And I'm like, oh, it's like 6 p.m. Who cares? But um, it but that connecting point was really valuable. And I appreciate the idea of help the helpers because there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that are required to make things work like a nonprofit. And I think mm -hmm. people misunderstand the level of work that ta it takes to build a nonprofit and do your fundraising and ha have the board come to an agreement. <laughs> it can be challenging. I've been on a couple <laughs> boards myself and I can see that the challenges that are presented and you provide some solutions for people so they can 
actually do their mission. Oh, absolutely. It, it's, it's weird because at the same time I was, I was volunteering, uh, I was trying to run a business uh, a financial blog called Warriors Wallet, and we did some amazing things. We helped 400 families pay off $6 million in debt. And yes, that was while I was still active duty. Uh, you know, I couldn't, I, once we figured out how to handle our finances, we were shocked that not everyone was talking about this stuff because mm-hmm. a couple of tweaks, I'm no kidding, two or three tweaks, and you're well on your way to handling your finances, to getting your debt paid off and, and living a life that you want to live and not just paying uh, credit card debt from something you bought, you know, uh, five years ago still. So, I mean, once we figured that out, we started helping other people. And at the time I was consuming a lot of business books. I was trying to really turn this into a business. And, um, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I really don't want these people their money. I'm not interested. Um, I don't care. I just want to help them however I can help them. And I don't, I don't need their money. And it was really freeing for me because I was trying so hard to monetize this. But every time I went to go ask for money, I felt kind of dirty. Um, and at the time, I was like, you know, I'm just going to put this aside. I'm going to start focusing more on this nonprofit stuff. Well, I had realized that all the things I was learning for business applied to nonprofits. And as many nonprofits I had, as I had talked to at that point, they weren't, they weren't necessarily doing these things. And I came to some realizations. One is that a nonprofit is a business. You have to incorporate at the start, you have to apply for a special tax code. In most cases, is a 501c3. Uh, many professional organizations, it's a 501c6. But it's it's a business that you run, and it just has special tax benefits. Um, it's it's nonprofit is a a tax code. It's not a business plan, right? You have all the same concerns as a business does. You have to keep the lights on, and you got to keep people employed and everything else, but you also have the added uh, real handicap, uh, as I like to say, of having to follow a mission. And right away, you're not a business owner because you give up control as the founder. You give up control to the board, which you may or may not be on. And the board is responsible to the community for the execution of the mission. So you have all the challenges of a new business and you have a whole group of people trying to figure out the best moves for this organization as they move forward. So you have all the problems with the business and you have a bunch of hands in the cookie jar trying to tell you what to do and when, you know, when you can have a snack and when you can go to bed. So uh, it provides a lot of special challenges. Something that people don't know is that nonprofits can absolutely sell things. They can sell services. They can charge for all sorts of things. If you talk to, some organizations or you look up and see some of the top nonprofits out there like the Red Cross and Salvation Army, people are aghast when they have compensations upwards of $250,000 to $650,000. And then you drop some knowledge on them like, well, hey, those aren't even the highest paid CEOs. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, you get into the healthcare world, which is also nonprofit world and something like Delta Dental, they're making between $12 million and $25 million a year. And the biggest difference between the two is that the nonprofits making nonprofit CEOs making 12 million a year, they're charging for everything. Think about when you go to a hospital, you charge for everything in there. It gets billed through your insurance. And it's no second thought for you to be, you know, charged for everything in there, but suddenly you hear a nonprofit and you're like, Oh, what do you mean you want to pay your employees? Well, uh, fun fact, they're the third largest workforce in America behind restaurants and retails. Nonprofits are number three. And those people have bills. They have houses. They have kids that want to go to college. They have career aspirations. Just because it's a nonprofit doesn't mean there's no money coming in. There's millions upon millions of dollars passing through the hands of nonprofits every year. And if you want the best people in your workforce, they're maybe your fundraiser, maybe your program director, you don't want to pay the minimum wage, do you? You want people that are going to put forward a really quality product and and do good things for their mission that they're trying to serve and that's the the thing that i think where the whole money you know like we shouldn't talk about money and money doesn't grow on trees and and like we have this aversion to talking about money yet it's what i mean it's it's a tool that greases the wheels that that's where it's a resource that is required for living because you need it and nonprofits how are you going to do your mission if you don't have the funds to do it and 
So I think, and, and for me personally, I had to really shift a lot of mindset things around money because of that programming you get as a kid, as that messaging that that money is evil or people that have a lot of money aren't going to help you. Honestly, I found the exact opposite to be true as an mm-hmm. adult, that the people, you are more generous, you have the ability to be more generous in bigger ways. I'm not saying... I haven't benefited from people with less money and that they have not been valuable and important. And I guess what I have learned is money magnifies who you already are. And mm-hmm. I see that even in, non- in nonprofit work is there's something to be said for being part of that mission, for being, you know, you have this purpose that you are serving for your community. And I, I, when I was a teenager, my brother asked to go to Denmark to see Legoland, and that was his wish through Make-A-Wish, and they granted it. Like, the whole family went to Denmark through Make-A-Wish. So um, that piece of my life would never have happened if it was not for that entity and mm-hmm. my brother's wish. Um, but it's one of those things that warms my soul because... We have the medical pieces, we have all that, but kids and families also need hope. And a lot of nonprofits, I think, provide that for families. And I, I love finding ones that I can support, you know, mentally, <laughs> emotionally, financially. And for me, Make-A-Wish, is, it was a game changer in making sure I knew there was other places in the world. Anyway, that's my tangent on nonprofits, but (laughs) similar to what you mentioned, once I learned how people give back, and you could do that outside of a church, because I grew up going to, like, church was like the main focus type of thing, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's also nonprofit. You're also serving, you know, and a lot of money goes through those entities as well, so I think it really is around a mind shit, mind set shift there i could speak um (laughs) around money and how we're looking at it and the fact that you were able to help families pay off what did you say six million in debt like something else that i think isn't at least in my time in the military wasn't addressed much the money piece yeah it was get 100 bucks a month for your gi bill put that away make sure you do that and that's about what i remember (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's 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 so much like in, in today's world with all all the media outlets and social media, there's there's so much information out there. It's hard to figure out what mm-hmm. is real or what applies to you or or if it makes sense. And when you boil it down, like when I was teaching finances primarily, uh, I bo- I boiled it down to like a three legged stool. You have offense, right? That's you earning more money. You have defense, that's you cutting your bills, and you've got special teams, which is giving. And when you start giving as a person, as a household, it changes the way you interact with money. You go from having this closed-fisted mindset, everything that comes into your hand that you've got to hold on to, like there's not going to be more next payday, to having this this open-hand system where money's going to come in and it's going to go out. Uh, throughout your life and you know give while you can and there's going to be times that are tight but there's going to be more times that you have more than enough and you know if you're not feeling that way right now and you're listening to this you know drop me a line I'll, I'll still help you work through your finances with a, with a couple of easy steps you know there's there's so much ways and if you know people are like well I just need more money look if you can't make it on 90 percent of what you make right now you can't make it on 120 percent of what you make because it has nothing to do with the dollars it has to do with the mindset and what you're doing outside of money that is really affecting your bottom line. Right. And, and being able to talk about that with someone intelligently is so valuable, especially if you didn't get any of that training. You know, I, I remember like you put 10%, you know, in savings, 10% you tie, then 10% you, you know, whatever, spend on you and the rest, you know, I can't remember exactly, but like you split it up so that you have like a short-term, long-term, you know, situation. But beyond that, it was, there wasn't much, like you didn't Mm -hmm. understand um, 
how to invest or where that's coming from or you know how to make a longer term financial plan and i think it's it's something that is a real challenge and i mean i know even in the military at that point i was i was married and when you have differences of opinion about how money should work in your family and in your relationships that causes a lot of strain you know i mean i can remember having five bucks and going okay i gotta like find groceries for two days like what am i gonna do rice and beans right <laughs> rice and beans oh look that's a inexpensive chunk i can roast that in the oven or you buy a chicken like there's all these ways that you're you make a meal and you make it last type of thing but yeah. um there's for, a for lot us, of I mean, jump in here real quick for, for my, my wife and i when we start when we got on the same page with money and we started giving we have never had a money fight or a money problem in the last 15 years not a single one as soon as we're on the same page with what our money is and if you're listening to this and you're a veteran you have to decide where your money is going ahead of time think about those uh young sailors or young soldiers that are if you don't give them a task what do they do they're causing problems is the same with your money. If you don't give that dollar a task, it's going to cause you problems. So you decide where it's going to go before it comes into your possession. You give it a task. So when it comes in, it knows what to do. And once you've decided that, and once you've decided that you're going to give, your your money problems are largely going to, going to float away. Are you going to have some debt? Probably. Do you still need to make more money? Of course you do. But once those things are decided, all the fights are gone, provided you're following whatever your plan is, Right. And if you're making a plan right now and you're thinking about this, make sure you plan to have a little bit of fun too. Because if you don't, it's just like one of those extreme diets. As soon as you get carbs back in your system, you're fat again. Uh, as soon as you you know, get a little bit uh, tired and you need to blow off some steam, you're not going to go spend $20 on something fun. You're going to spend $2,000 on something fun and you're going to be right back where you were. But set aside money for fun every month. Take, take care of that. D decide on a plan, whatever the plan is, execute the plan and make sure you're giving too. And that's going to go a long way into uh, quieting things down on the fight front, especially if you're married. And that's really true. When you can get on the same page about it, um, it really reduces your stress, I think. And, and having that money have a job is really like you create a space for it to go. And, and like, even I had in the beginning of business, it was like, oh, I have to ask for money like sharing like your PayPal link is like what but once you start to realize that selling is serving and it, it and as long as you're you lead with value and then it's not as you know people need to know your service people need to know what you do and how are you going to do that if you don't have money and <laughs> it's and, a big cycle right we've been we've been taught to believe that that sales is some kind of cuss word Right. Like it's not a bad thing. Every <laughs> single thing you own was made by someone that owns a business. And a business is you just solving a problem. I'm sitting in a chair right now. Someone solved the problem of me meeting this set. We're on Zoom. Someone solved the problem of us needing to connect over a distance. On the internet, we have that, you know, Al Gore to thank for that, apparently. Uh, <laughs> but all of these things that we have and own were created, idea, manufactured, and then sold by someone whether it was a direct sale and a person came to you or you went to target and the sale was just kind of there. And then some people just go to target and I just let target tell me what I need to buy. But uh, you know, all of it is, is some kind of sale and you're providing a solution to someone. So you can't feel bad about asking for money and in, in nonprofit work it's a little tricky because you're not asking for money for you. You're asking for money on behalf of an organization and that can create some problems depending on where you're at and you're, personal journey sometimes like especially startup nonprofits that person that's asking for a thousand dollars might not have a thousand dollars in their own bank account and it creates a, a friction within them because how are you going to be asking for this kind of money or this kind of things from someone when you don't have that yourself and you need to be okay with that because you're not asking on behalf of you you're not asking for a handout you're asking on behalf of an organization who's going to take that money and put it to good work towards whatever programs that you have available. Right, and it, it becomes more about your mission and your purpose and how you're serving instead of about you. And I think that that shift 
even nonprofit or business is really valuable if you're mission driven, you know, when you start to look at how are you going to positively impact that. And I really liked what you said about you start opening up your hand and all of a sudden you're not grasping, you're not struggling anymore. And I think that just is such a metaphor for life when you start realizing how abundant things are. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was having some back issues and I had a little sign that said, celebrate everything. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what should I be celebrating? I have a heating pad, I have coffee. Um, and, and instead of going down that, all the things I can't do, look at all the things I can do right now in this moment. I can still write, I can still get on a Zoom call. I, I just won't be on camera, that type of thing, you know? And you start looking at what is abundantly around you and moving toward that. And for me, shifting into that abundance realization, no matter what it is, has really shifted my mindset around money, which has allowed more opportunities to come in. And mm -hmm. I think we don't realize how hold, how tightly we hold sometimes. You start to loosen the grip, you have better conversations with your spouse or your boyfriend or your board. You know, you start having more inclusive conversations, I think, when you realize you don't have to hold it so tightly. Uh, you know, you're going <laughs> to cut off your own blood supply if you do that. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I, in the nonprofit world, there's so many people fighting for for these donors. Um, and it just it it hurts me because I don't understand why that is. I, I run a little online community, the nonprofit architect podcast community. You know, people come in, they have problems. Some people, you know, promote their stuff that they do. And that's definitely that's definitely welcome because I don't have all the answers. Right. But between the, all the group of us, we're going to have the answer for you. But people in there, and you can see that they're not doing something because they're worried about sharing donors or sharing trade secrets. There's like 7.8 billion people on the planet. Losing one person is not going to solve your problem, and it shouldn't shut your doors down. Mm -hmm. You know, having one, it's Giving Tuesday when we're recording this. I'm not sure when this is going out live, but there's enough money there's 330 million odd people in America and someone can donate to your cause. Like you don't have to worry about fill down the street because like Tammy's in Washington, I'm in Oklahoma city, but we met while I was in the middle East. Like there's a someone somewhere that can help you. And if you're worried about, you know, getting the help that you're trying to get, maybe you haven't told your audience what you want. Maybe you haven't told them, Hey, the best way you guys can support me is subscribing to my YouTube channel. That would really help me out today. Or, Hey, maybe the best time to support me, the best way you can support me today is by sharing a podcast episode. That would really mean a lot to me, man. I don't have any rankings. Did you tell them you wanted rankings? Hey, if you love the show, if I've ever given you good advice or even know that my first name is Tammy, you know, hop on iTunes and leave me a review, please. Because the, the rates and the reviews help my rankings up the podcast ranks. But so many people haven't told people around them what they need because, you know, they feel if they ask for help that they're helpless. Or if they ask a question, they're stupid. That's impossible and insane. I got, I just left the Middle East and I had a commander who was an 09. It's a vice admiral. The guy's been in for like 35 years. Mm. He spends his entire day getting briefings and asking questions so he can make sure he understands what's going on and he has enough information to brief his boss. His entire day was asking questions and no one thought he was dumb. <laughs> right. That perspective, like your whole yeah. thing. I, I yeah. started something new and recently. And so I came up with like 20 questions. Like these are all the things I need to know about. And yeah. at first I was like, Oh, maybe I should already know some of these things. But then I'm like, well, no, this is a brand new project. I have no idea how this is going to go. I can bring in my experience and things like that. But what about specifics for this thing? And I think mm -hmm. I remember feeling stupid. I remember thinking asking questions meant I didn't know something, which it obviously I don't, but <laughs> why would I There's be asking? There's nothing wrong with uh, knowing the answer. People I mean, are like, oh, I'm going to get in the interview. I'm going to get in a business transaction. They're going to ask me a question and I don't have the answer. Well, you can just say, you know what? I have an idea about that, but I'm going to let my team get the specifics and we'll get back to you. Mm -hmm. No big deal. No one cares. They're just like, okay, and they're moving on. 
I, I started this podcast. We're doing pretty great as far as I can tell by rankings. I don't do any of the work. I farm out all the tech stuff to a team because I don't know how that stuff works. And I ain't got time to figure it out right now. Maybe one day I will. Maybe one day I'll take it back over and do it myself. Or maybe I just enjoy it so much. I'm going to try unloading other of my tasks on them. I don't have to do everything. Right. I'm just going to live and die by my personal energy. I'm going to create systems in place to, to keep this thing running when I have a bad day. It's December 1st right now. I've got podcast interviews pre-recorded through the end of February. I could go into a coma for three months and still the podcasts are going to get produced and promoted and been posted. Wow. Through <laughs> February, I have catching up to do, but that's. <laughs> We're not competing, Tammy. My success doesn't mean you're failing. But it's an example of how systems are valuable and how planning ahead using them are valuable as well as delegating, um, mm-hmm. which also allows you to have more quality of life. If you say, I want to have an extra long breakfast today with my wife, who cares? Like you can do that <laughs> because you've already gone through that planning and execution and delegating. And maybe you can talk a little more about the value of delegating because I think as founders of things, we want to control it sometimes and we're afraid to release it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, sometimes your team is going to frustrate you. And are they going to do as well as you do it? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're going to do it way better than you. I know that I don't know how to edit podcast audio. I have taken no time, no training. I don't even know if I have a program on my computer that does it. So I already know that they're going to do it better than me. I understand where my zone of genius is. And I know where it's not. And it's currently nowhere near podcast editing or production. It's not. And I'm okay with that. You know why? Because I have other things that I excel at. There's other things that I do well. I connect with people. Apparently, I'm a good listener. I don't know. Maybe I have a sweet radio voice and people just like me for that. I couldn't tell you. But I do know where I suck at. I am never, ever, ever going to play basketball. Professionally, as a semi-pro, as an amateur, I suck. 5'8", I'm short, I'm wide, and I'm kind of chunky. So that's not... Any place I'm going to put my time. Could I? Absolutely, I could. But how is that going to better my life? How is it going to take care of the things I need to do? You know, when you learn, when you go through training as an officer, you learn the three D's of leadership. Delegate, delegate, disappear. (laughs) You tell them what you want them to do, and then you leave the room so they can do it. And sometimes like, well, why didn't you tell me the how to do it? Well, if I tell you what to do and how to do it, I might as well do it. You're going to let your people surprise you sometimes. They're going to be able to do things that you didn't know was capable of. Maybe you've been in the industry for 20 years, but they have a little bit of social media expertise. So when they do it, it's going to be different than the way you would have done it. But it turns out it's better because the times have changed and something has shifted. If they can do it, I, my, my benchmark is about 80. Some people it's like 60. If they can do it a little bit better than half as good as I am, I'm going to let them go and run with it. I'm going to train them right? To do the thing. If I know how to do the thing and I'm unloading something that I do, if not, I expect them to have the training. I'm going to hold them to a high standard. I'm going to set my expectations and I'm going to say, go, go get it done. Let me know when it's done. I, I have this time frame. I expect it done in this time frame. You give them your expectations. You let them go. And I'm, I fly for my day job in the Navy. So we call it giving a little stick and rudder. You got to put some little inputs in to make sure the airplane's going the way you want it. Same with your people. Sometimes they're going to have like, hey, I keep catching the same grammar mistake in the show notes. I'm going to need you to tweak this. Or, hey, we're updating the artwork. Please use this from now on. Or, hey, the turnaround time in this product was much longer than is expected. And you're going to train your people. And some people will just fire people and they'll go through, you know, a couple of people a year. Did you did you set your expectations with them? Do they have the skills and the ability to do what you need them to do? Have you told them what you want them to do? I just got done reading Call Sign Chaos by Jim Mattis, and he has a little three-step communication procedure in there that's very useful. Three steps. If you're listening to this right now, write this down. Step number one, what do I know? Step two is who needs to know? And this is the important one. Step three, have I told them? And when you say, what do I know? Who needs to know? And have I told them you can get pretty much anything accomplished you need to? 
And that's the piece right there is that communication piece. And it makes a lot of sense where uh, for me, I'm like, tell me what you want. Tell me when you need it. Can I ask you questions when I need to? Okay, I'm good. And then you can just go. And not every, some people need more guidance, but mm -hmm. I think if you have come through the military and have a pretty decent sense of who you are and how things work, I think your expectation is that someone will tell you what they want, give you a deadline and go away. And so it's very frustrating <laughs> if you have that micromanagement piece where someone wants to know what you're doing every 10 minutes. And yeah, well, I, I can empathize. You can enforce those boundaries, right? You can enforce right. those boundaries. If you're listening to this and you're, and you're an employee somewhere and someone gives you a task that, that has some kind of authority over you, you're like, and you're, you're swamped, tell them, be like, hey, I'm already doing this, this, and this. Does this new task take priority over these? Does it fall somewhere in the middle? Or is there maybe someone else better suited for this right now? And that's not a rude thing to say. That is not an inappropriate thing to say. You're just checking the manager's expectations. Like, hey, I've got these things on my plate right now. Is this the thing you need done? Is that my new priority? Should I put everything off to the side and do your thing first? And they may decide, yep, I've talked to the other people. We need you to do this first post haste right now. We need you to get it done. Cool. Or they might be like, oh, I didn't realize you're working on all those other projects. Hey, I'm going to go talk to Sally about this. No big deal. You just take care of your stuff. Cool. But then you know. Then you know what the expectation is. They know that you're not just completely free and clear to do whatever they need. Maybe you are. You're like, absolutely. I was just coming to you for more tasking so I can go get this done now. And now I know what to do. Or like, oh, I've only touched on that once or twice before. I've got some questions. Are you available for questions? Because I don't know if I have this thing mastered yet. That is no big deal. That is you being an adult and being upfront and saying that although you might have done it before, that you're not 100% on it and you might need a little bit of, of coaching or help. That is no big deal. Me as a leader, someone comes to me like that, they're at the top of my list. Mm -hmm. They are self-actualized. They know what they are good at, what they're not good at, what they need help with. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I don't have any problem with anyone like that that works for me or works around me. Never have, never will. And that's the really uh, key piece, I think, if you're able to communicate with your management and your leadership and let them know where you're at, you know, and being upfront about that. And it can be a challenge if you're, if you ever deal with people who don't appreciate that level of <laughs> authenticity, um, and it's it's very it's like you're always pushing yourself i think if you know your zone of genius you are always pushing yourself i think a little harder than someone else might be if you are really focused on that growth and doing things well and i mean i i just had a situation today where i was like all right in the future anything i write i will also proof because <laughs> i may have done x over here something got lost in the middle and then it's over here and it's not correct and it's like oh well that's not good you know and so i think there's that point of delegating it and then just checking in to make sure it's okay because 90 percent of it probably is but there might be that one or two you know that 10 percent piece where you're like i wish i'd have checked it type of thing um, <laughs> but i think that's where trusting your people and just like you said delegating it giving them what you can and then just letting them do it and like you are mentioning about the times changing with social media and all the different ways that you can put your things out there and talk about it and i think we need a balance of people who are really tech savvy people who are great at content and then you have people who are able to bring it all together and i think that is the valuable piece, especially if you're in a nonprofit where you need all those all those working pieces and you need that to be a cohesive situation. I, I personally see where herding cats fits in that job description. But, um, but bringing, I think understanding what people do well and or things they can do to bring that up to doing it well is a really a key leadership thing. Like you need to be keyed into what your people 
can and can't do and you need to be approachable and personally i found people who have gone through enlisted to officer are generally more approachable because you've seen the gamut you've seen all sides of it and i think that's the value piece and of course we all know there's all the jokes and all the things but that doesn't mean that's accurate either yeah I know for me, when I was contemplating uh, putting in an officer package, I was really looking at, at the long term of what I wanted my life to look like. Because I, when I joined, my, my father was also in the Navy, and I know he was working really hard to make chief. And I know that's something that I wanted. Uh, for those of you that don't speak Navy lingo, that's that's E7. That's, that kind of puts you in the senior enlisted rank or senior NCO. Um, and I was really fighting for that from day one, doing the things I needed to do, uh, you know, learning the skills, getting the qualifications, and sure I was doing the things that, that were needed to do that. Um, but in my job field, I was an AME, which is Aviation Structural Mechanic Safety Equipment. So ejection seats, canopies, oxygen breathing system, fire extinguishing. And in my job field, there were, they were promoting one or two people a year to make chief. And although that was a goal of mine, I didn't know that I could put my career progression on pause for the hope of one or two slots a year in the entire Navy to make this, this promotion. Wow. And I talked to my dad about it and he said, you know, I, I wanted to make chief first and every year I didn't make chief. I thought I would make it the next year. It'd be no deal. And I'd apply the next year. And I talked to some of the other flight engineers around the schoolhouse, if they had thought about it, like, well, I wanted to fly first. And by the time I got it back around to it, I was too old to apply. And I called my dad again. He's like, you know, if that's something you want, just apply for it and don't let anyone stop you. And I decided that I was going to be an officer. I was already going to college, right? I applied for the Seaman to Admiral program, which they would send you to, to college full-time through a ROTC and you would get commissioned through there. I applied for that first. And then I applied for limited duty officer. And I said, if both those come back, no, then I'm going to finish my degree and I'm applied to OCS officer candidate school. And they, they told me, no, I was going to go to the army and do it. Like I was going to do it. Right. I, I was determined. Once you decide, once you Decided. determine what you're going to do, you're determined. Um, and the first thing that I applied for the Seaman Admiral program, they said yes, which as I understand it is, is pretty rare to apply and get picked up your first time, which I was very happy about. Um, I know people that are searching for promotion uh, at any level when you don't make it for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's heartbreaking. It, gets you, it hurts you a little bit more every time. So I applied. That was at like my nine-year mark when I applied uh, and I got picked up and that was 10 years ago. I was in college. I got commissioned December of 11. So it's been nine years wow. uh, since I've been commissioned. And you, you see both sides of it. You see the struggle of, of I remember, you know, I didn't make a thousand dollars a month when I was an E1, you know, I didn't make 12 grand that first year. Um, and then I was a commissioned officer in Bahrain and I was making, you know, more than that each and every month tax free, which is pretty exciting. Uh, somewhere I never thought I would be, oh, my mind was blown. I got my paycheck and I was like, I was talking to our, our dispersing folks. And I was like, is this real? Am I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm stealing from the Navy. I'm like, no, that's all, that's all accurate. I was pretty, I was pretty blown away with that, but you know, you, you see all these struggles and you see what it takes to do both sides. And you think, and I was not enlisted. I was like, oh, officers don't do anything. I was mistaken. <laughs> I was wrong. Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. They put you in charge of a half a billion dollar aircraft or they put you in charge of steering a multi-billion dollar ship. Uh, it's kind of a big deal and they hold you accountable and forgetting your quals and making sure things are done. But it's interesting to see the perspective. I was uh, talking to my dad earlier about it, about, you know, what I'm doing as my side business and the things that I'm doing to help people and why I'm doing that. And then I encourage other people in the Navy to do whatever their, whatever the thing is, whatever, if they want to work in an office building all day long, or they want to work for a fortune 500 company, get your MBA, go get your MBA Learn how to do this stuff. Do it while it's still free in the Navy. And then when you're out, you're prepared for that next phase. You don't want to do that? Fine. We're going to set you up a program. We're going to figure out is what I can do to help you get your goals, whatever your goal is. And some people are like, well, I don't understand why you would do that. Or, you know, the Navy is should be the focus. Yes, 
yes, I, I do agree the Navy should be the focus. You should definitely take care of your career, whatever that looks like. But also realize that everyone gets out. They either get out for you know behavioral issues or they get out at the end of their enlistment or they retire or you know something happens, an accident or a medical thing, and they're out in a couple of weeks. And all the safety net they thought they had, they don't have anymore. The military may or may not give you a severance and may or may not give you medical retirement, but whatever skills you have, that's it. At that point, you're gone. So what can you do to work towards whatever your goal is, whether that's college, tech school, owning your own business, uh, creating a blog or a podcast like I'm doing or whatever the thing is, I talk to them on a pretty regular basis about what are they doing for the Navy every day? What are they doing for their career? Uh, what are they doing for their family? And what are they doing for themselves and their future? And it might look like 10 or 20 minutes a day. And if you play the long game, you can put in 10 or 20 minutes extra a day and be on top of the game for whatever it is you're trying to do. If you are listed listening to this right now, you it's choose your own adventure. If they say do these things and you'll get promoted and you don't do them, you should not be shocked when not promoted uh <laughs> if you do the things that they need you to do and you do them well then it should be no surprise you're at at or near the top and those things that you would like to do become easier when you do the things you need to do and that's true in the military or in life like uh, tammy and i are running businesses right now and if we're doing the things that we need to do if i'm putting out the podcast, if I'm holding true to my core message, if I am interacting with people and being the same person they hear on the podcast as I am when I talk to them in person, I'm being consistent, then my business is going to be doing well. If I don't put out a podcast every week, like I say I'm going to, and I don't interact with people like I say I'm going to, they don't believe or trust me. And all of a sudden my business is going to fall off because I didn't do the things that I needed to do to get what I want. And it really is around the choices, uh, deciding what you want and then what you need to release. And when I, I don't recommend this course, but I enlisted without a school of any kind. I just went in as basically cannon fodder, you know, plug me (laughs) wherever you need me. And I had, that had not been what I had been told to do. But I was so eager to go wherever that I didn't really look what I was jumping into. And I, I wish that I had asked more questions at the time because <laughs> it's a big Navy. Like they had lots of jobs and there probably was a school had I looked at my options, had I discussed it more because you still have a lot of choice at that point. <laughs> they are not in charge of you. You are in charge of what you decide. But in any case, I started as a deck seaman. I got training on how to do greasing wire rope and all that. But then I had a chance to be a personnelman and to study for that and be what we call a striker. And meaning I didn't go to a school, but they handed me all the books and said, here, study. And I did. And people were like, hey, we're going to go do this. Do you want to go? No, I'm going to sit my butt right here. And I'm going to read this stuff because it means I can get a promotion. It means I can get better orders when the ship decommissions, which is what happened. Um, and I'm grateful that I sat down and did that work because it did make a difference. And making third class was like a birthday. Like, you know, <laughs> it was like, yay, I made it. And the other thing I'll say about the leaders, because I think there's a difference between leaders leadership and management um the leadership i had was like you will not talk to the detailer and like you're saying for people listening who don't know that you're not going to talk to the person who's going to tell you where you get to go next until you pass this test then we'll allow you to talk to them because now you have better options and i very rarely out of the military have i ever felt that level of protection from my leadership And so that was a really eye-opening experience for me that if you're surrounded by decent people, they are going to treat you well and kind of protect you and guide you, which is what you're doing when you're talking to people about, hey, you're going to transition out of here at some point. What is your plan? What are you doing? How are you going to get there? And 
I kind of wish I had that kind of direction <laughs> after my four years instead of, hey, here's a tap class and, oh, um, yeah, call the VA. Like, it was, yeah. now it's very different. I think we've progressed in the <clears throat> 20 plus years that I've been out of the military, <laughs> but I still see a lot of challenges uh, for people because I don't think we're having enough of those conversations about what's your next plan? What's the next thing you're going to do? And that's also what I think leads to some higher suicide rates and things like that because people don't have a direction anymore. They're not connected anymore. And they they struggle with knowing what's the next mission that they need to get onto. And if you start planning that transition ahead of time, I think it allows people a little breathing room and space because all of a sudden your medical's gone. Where are you going to live? Now you don't have an income. Like all these stressful things can happen in a moment's notice. Yeah. But if, if you're paying attention and you do have some good people around, you can see some of these things coming. Right. If you can see it coming, then you can prepare for it. I remember a conversation I had in Bahrain with one of the guys on the watch floor. He was talking about getting out and becoming a teacher, which is all well and good. And I asked him, I probably could have done it a little bit more tactfully, but I pretty much just shredded his plan right in front of him and his troops. Mm. I was like, oh, so you're going to go back home to Southern Iowa. Okay. And you're going to get a job teaching. Cool. Your retirement pay as an E6 is about 20 grand a year. And you're signing up for about a $25,000 a year job. So it's about $45,000 a year or like, what is it? Like $21 an hour. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with working for $21 an hour and getting up every day and going to school full-time uh, to teach and then grading papers till eight, nine o'clock, having no support from your superintendent or anything else and living in a small town? And he was kind of shocked because I don't think that he had thought about those things that way and what that might've looked like. Because I don't think enough people realize they have the choice to design what they want their life to look like. So many people, I feel like we get taught to work in factories and in school that you you go and you sit and call and file and you don't talk and you ask a question just to get the answers, but not to understand what the question is or why you're being asked it. And then you change spots on the line when the whistle blows and then you get a, a union mandated break, we'll call it lunch period. Uh, and then you go do it again in the afternoon. We're, we're teaching our kids how to work in factories. We are teaching them how to build assets, what assets are or that you can design what you want your life to look like. There's people out there that have online businesses and hopefully something that I'm drawing into here shortly with some products and things I have in development coming along where I can make money. I can go to sleep and wake up with money in my accounts because something I've created has sold overnight. And when I have enough of those done and I do it correctly, I don't have to quote unquote work. I don't have to go punch a clock. I don't have to drive across town, sit in a building for eight hours a day, and hope they're going to take care of me. I am creating something that is going to provide value to a specific group of people. And if it does provide the value that they need, and I treat them like people and not users or customers, that they are going to be uh, raving fans, hopefully. And uh, I'm going to be able to continue this. I'm doing this specifically to build a laptop empire where I can do my podcasts and the things I need to do from my phone or from a laptop from anywhere in the world. Why do I want my life to look like this? Well, if I get a public speaking gig and it's down in Rio and I can go down there and because I have my podcast schedule uh, out for a few months and I have my social media posts that I care about scheduled that I can go down and have fun in Rio for three weeks because I don't have the bills because I've set up my life with my uh, retirement, uh, whatever level of disability I have and an income from my business, that's going to allow me to do that. I don't have to be stuck in one place. But I knew if I went to work for a Fortune 5 company, a 500 company or an aviation company, I would likely be forced. I mean, this is COVID time, so maybe I can work from home, but forced to go in an office and sit there. And the hours I put in have nothing to do with the work that I put out. And that doesn't make sense to me. And that's not what I want my life to look like. So I'm trying to build and design what I want my life to be because I have the choice to do so. And anyone listening to this has the choice to do so. We are no longer tied to a building. And, or a clock or doing other people's bidding 
if you especially if you've got a bigger mission a bigger thing in mind like it's okay to dream bigger it's okay to have a bigger plan than what you've ever known and that that's been kind of some things I've been reminded of, of no bigger is better actually with the mission you have or the impact you want to make. And, and sometimes it can be a challenge to embrace that whatever you're doing is way bigger than you. I mean, that laptop empire is something that I'm working on myself and I totally appreciate and get that because there's times when I have scheduled something, it'll pop up on my social media. I'm like, where did that? Oh, that's right. I already scheduled that. <laughs> <laughs> and a your couple post weeks, went up as scheduled. Imagine as that. scheduled. Whoa, it's working. <laughs> and a couple of weeks ago, we had a power, massive windstorm, power outage all day. I had no internet, nothing and no power all day. Now I'm a creative person. I have plenty to write and read and clean the house and do all these things but all of a sudden now my power is out and I had work I had to do I could not do it but I had other things that had already been scheduled to post and whatever so I was still getting my message out there that day despite the fact that I had unplanned power outage oh by the way I'm on an island and both transformers got knocked out with the wind situation and that hadn't happened in quite a few years honestly um so even little weird things like that don't have as much of an impact if you've already got your podcast scheduled, you've already done your stuff, you've got it out there and you've planned ahead. And I think that that is one of the key things is figuring out what what your mission is and then doing all the things to actions you need to take to make it happen. And it's one of those things where people talk, oh, manifestation doesn't work. Well, no, if I just sit here and say, I want this, that's probably not going to happen. It might be a mindset thing, but then you need to go and take some aligned actions as well. And certain things will kick you in the behind <laughs> to remind you if you haven't been doing that. So anyway, I can totally appreciate what you're building and why, so that you have that freedom to do some of the things you want to do. Absolutely. And monetizing it's, it's... it is, is smart. And I mean, I don't know how many nonprofits are in the U.S. Say alone, but I know 2. in my county, million. twenty-five million, just a mere two two point five million. Two point five million. If, if you're a veteran listening to this, there's already fifty-three thousand veteran service organizations. So see if you can contribute before you start your own, please. It's in the county I'm in. When I was first researching a business, I think I figured out there was like seven hundred and ninety-two nonprofits in my county, and I'm like. Clearly, I don't need to be another one. I need to be a contributing force <laughs> to nonprofits. It, it's it's a maybe. It's a maybe, but you can maybe start a program with an existing nonprofit, right? And you don't have to do any of the paperwork or none of that stuff. You're just a program director. Mm-hmm. Maybe you found you didn't know this, but because you did some research, you find something that's doing exactly what you're doing. Then you can donate or be on their board or volunteer and have that impact that you want. You don't have to start the new thing. To, to have the impact. Is it about you or is it about the mission? If it's about you, don't start it. We don't need you if right. it's about you. If it's about the mission, then maybe you don't have to start one. Maybe you can uh, build your own program under someone else or maybe contribute to what's already happening. I'm not advocating that you start one. If you do start one and need help, though, come check out the Nonprofit Architect podcast. Please do. I want you to do it right. I want you to do it better. And I want you to have the information you need to be successful. Right. And, and starting off with knowing what you're doing is a better plan. I speak from experience on all things. <laughs> I also heard, I heard this somewhere. I don't know if it was in a cartoon, but knowing is only half the battle. Those of you that are reading book after book after book without taking action, knowing is half the battle. The other half is violence. I mean, action. You have to do the thing. You have to actually do the thing if you want something to happen. Exactly. And that's exactly it. You have to, you need to have that knowledge base, but then move out like it's time to go. And I think your guidance will help people, even if they're in an existing nonprofit and they need help. I think you are a great resource for anyone. So what's- I appreciate uh, that. I wanted to, I wanted to add that even if you're a startup business, my podcast can help you. Almost everything translates. You're probably not going to have a board 
right? You, you may have some volunteers. You're probably not going to fundraise the same thing, but almost everything else translates. I had Stephen Kuhn on the show. And we talked how to turn your website into an active employee. That applies to business and nonprofits. I talked to Vincent James and he teaches you how to contact celebrities to rally them around your cause. Fun fact, you can contact them to help you with your business and promote your stuff. I had Lori McNeil come on to teach you how to get more, to get booked on more media more often. And that applies to business and nonprofits. I had Lewis Cheney come on and he's hilarious. He's from gettothedampoint.com. He shows you how to master your public speaking, get rid of those ums and ahs. And that applies to business and nonprofit work. Don't just not come check it out because we're nonprofit focused. There is so much more value in there, especially if you're in some kind of startup phase. If you're under five years of operation, this this podcast is for you. And you you never know what kind of great value you'll pick up in some of these things. And I've, I started now like, oh, I'm going to go listen to this podcast episode. So I'll turn that on while I'm doing whatever I'm doing that doesn't require my total yes. focus. Yes. I turn, I'm like, great. I get to hear this now. And and the podcasting is like the new, I've heard people say that's like the new talk show type of thing. Um, and you can listen to it just about anywhere and, and in your car, you know, when you're working out. I personally yep. like it's to net. walk without noise, but um or yeah. without that but i there's so many other things i can do where i i will pick up the podcast and listen to it because uh, a people are often interesting and b you never know what you're going to learn or ways that you can connect or you learn that you have similar stories and then mm-hmm. i'll reach out on linkedin i'll be like hey i heard your episode on blah 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 i'd love to connect here and it's a good way to learn more about people that you might never ever meet because of distance or whatever. So it's, it's fantastic. What you're talking about is just two things. One is net net is no extra time. So many people say no to podcasts or audiobooks because they don't have any time. If you are doing chores, if you're running errands, if you're working out or what's the other one, there's another one commuting. If you're doing any of those four things, it does not require your full attention. You can listen to things in the background. Oh yeah, well I just jam out to some music. If the music, if you use the music for mental health care for yourself, self care, great. But if not, if you're just doing it because you don't feel like you have another option, get onto a podcast, download Tammy's stuff, and listen to it while you travel travel country. You have questions about starting up a nonprofit, whether you should or shouldn't. Download some of my stuff and listen to it. You don't like either of us? Download the Humble Alpha Leader on Audible and listen to Stephen Kuhn and Lane Ballone talk about their amazing book and the process. How to choose. Whatever your thing is, do it. I listened to 60 books last year just going back and forth to work and going to the gym. 60 books. If the best CEOs in the country are reading 50 a year, one a week with a two-week vacation, how much more do you need to read and get information into your head? Absolutely. the Audible, I think the Humble Alpha, Unleash Your Humble Alpha just came out on Audible now, which I've been waiting for because I have the physical book I just got. I have the PDF and now I have it on Audible. So like I can get it from all sides. And what I love about that book is that I went through some of the process before the book ever came out. So I already know some of the mindset shifting and all that is really valuable. It really propelled me into a whole nother scenario of thinking by accessing the things that they were creating all prior to that led up to this book. And so seeing it culminate into something tangible, <clears throat> by the way, it's a great Christmas gift. I just bought a couple on, on <laughs> Friday. Um, because This episode brought to you in part by, by... <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's re- and the other amazing part is when you connect with people who are at this higher level you want to grow more you want to be there too and so i think that it's amazing that there's like this book that's there that can guide you like that and so i am very grateful that it's now in a book and it's easier to share and audible is great too i just 
finished listening to Blue Fishing not that long ago by Steve Sims. It's on my list. It's good. It's like two it's books really from good. now, I will be reading Blue Fishing. And I listen to it, and then I start doing things so I can make sure I listen to the book. Like, oh, I can do this quiet activity over here because I want to finish this chapter. <laughs> you know? So you kind of start arranging what you're doing to accommodate where where you're going, if that makes sense, I think. And so anyway, I I appreciate the connection that we have made and that you and I have had because it helped me start looking at different things differently and moving in a different direction that I hadn't considered. So I appreciate your leadership, even though you're not technically in charge of me. (laughs) Isn't that amazing that you can learn from your peers? You can learn when I, you know, my life growing up, it was a lot of time, not boring. It was pretty tumultuous, but you learn something from everyone you interact with. You learn what to do. You learn maybe sometimes what not to do. You're like, you know what? I just saw this blow up in your face. Maybe I'm not going to do it that way because we're at the end of the day, we really have the choice. There's this great little allegory from Zig Ziglar. He talks about being at a funeral with two brothers. Their dad just died. They're twin, they're twin boys. And he meets one of them. And one of them is just knocked down, fall down, drunk at the funeral. And he asked me, he said, why, why are you this way? He says, you see, my dad was an alcoholic. I had no choice. And he gives a chance a little bit later to meet the other brother who is a CEO of a fortune 500 company. And he said, how, how can you be this way? Oh, and he said, you see, my dad was an alcoholic. I have no choice. You see, they both had the choice. And one chose to follow the example he was given, even though it was very damaging and destructive. And the other chose to reject the example he was given because that is not the way that he wants to live his life. So even though we all experience some hard times, and even though, I don't know, like myself, we just kind of skimmed the surface of, of my story and, and what happened in, in my past, there's going to be things out there that, that hit everybody differently. There's some things that happen in my world that someone's like, man, that's, that's nothing. And there's some things that happen in their world. I'm like, man, that's not too bad, but it has a devastating effect on that person. Whatever the thing is, never discount a bad day and never discount anyone's, anyone's story. But at some point you have the choice. You are in charge of your own career. When you're talking about the Navy, your own business, if that's what you're doing, or you're in charge of your own life. No one cares about your life more than you do. No one cares about your career more than you do. No one cares about your business more than you do. And at some point you got to grab the wheel and say, you know what? I'm not going to hang around these people anymore. They're not good for me. They're not encouraging me to be better in my family life. They're not encouraging me in my business. They're not my cheerleaders. In fact, they only call me to complain about something. That doesn't help me at all. Oh, well, they're family. Well, guess what? Family is not allowed to treat you that way either. Set some boundaries, surround yourself with the right people, make better choices and move forward. And if you need something, call someone, figure out what their zone of genius is. Maybe you call me for nonprofit stuff. Maybe you call Tammy for hoarding. Maybe you contact a counselor if that's someone that needs to help you because not everyone in your network is going to have the skills you need. Sometimes you got to pay for it. But I tell you what, it's worth it definitely worth it to figure out and what you want to do and take charge of it like make those decisions and get out of your comfort zone everything i have is because i did that and um, i think it's really important what you're saying uh, to really figure it out for you and because nobody cares more than you so thank you so much for being here and talking with us and just sharing your wisdom i think the world is better for it. So what's the best way for people to reach you? I know you've got your website and podcast. I, I tell you what, Tammy, I'm on like 40 stinking podcast channels. I'm on like 20 social media networks. If you can't find the nonprofit architect podcast out there, uh, let me know because I need to add it somewhere, but you can definitely email me at nonprofit at Gmail. I'm usually on Facebook facebook.com slash nonprofit architect, get a hold of me, ask me questions, say, Hey, why were you so awful on Tammy's podcast? And you were being mean to her or, Hey, I love what you had to say about this, but I have more questions. Let me know. And you can go uh, stinking anywhere and download the podcast and subscribe. If that's what you would like to do. And I tell you what really makes my day is when someone shares one of my episodes 
oh, that just lifts me up and lets me know that I'm doing good things. I'm on the right track. Well, thank you very much. And I will have all that information in the show notes as well so people can find you easily. Uh, I really appreciate you being here and wish you every success as you are on this journey. And I'm very happy that we are connected. Hey, thanks a lot, Tammy. I appreciate you inviting me on today. And I so much love having you as a guest on my show last year, even though it took us a while to figure out what we were talking about. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, he's probably like, what? I and mean, she's never going to come on here again. She dropped every name she knew. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think I've improved as a guest since then, but I <laughs> appreciate the fact that you took that chance and I'm well, I, I tell you what, I've been uh, following you on social media and I love what you've done. I, your growth in the last year has been phenomenal. I love uh, that you're more confident and I love seeing a smile on your face each and every day. Thank you. The same for you. I really look forward to seeing what you put out there. It's, it's always encouraging. Thanks so much, Danny. Thank you. If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. 